Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com. On today's Tour Catch-Up. Russia wins the Davis Cup in Madrid. Johanna Conta announces her retirement from tennis. And the WTA suspends all their tournaments in China. Kim, it's finally here. Our final catch-up of the season. We have had lots of tennis over the last 12 months. And now I think it is a time... We can we can breathe, we can relax, we can reflect on all the tennis that has happened, including the Davis Cup in Madrid, which has come to has come to a close with with Russia winning. We've also got a chance to look forward to the twenty twenty two season. I mean, it is literally just a few weeks away. We've already had the ATP Cup draw announced so we're going to be looking at that and we've also had some news as well uh with the ongoing peng shui news with the wta putting their foot in it and saying they're going to suspend all their tournaments and johanna conta also announcing her retirement so again lots of big juicy things to sink our teeth into to talk about today but i do think at the moment it is a it is a moment that we can we can just breathe can't we well, unless you want to talk about the Open Angers Arena Loire <laughs> tournament in oh, France. Oh, how could I forget? How could WTA I forget? WTA 125 event. Uh, Leonie Kung has just taken to the court as we're recording this. So <laughs> tennis does not stop. It does not sleep. But yes, we do have a bit of a fallow period at the moment. But obviously, all the tournaments will be kicking off again very soon, especially with the ATP Cup, which is essentially the Davis Cup take two. Um, it's all a bit bizarre if they come so close together in the calendars. But um, yeah, let I me mean, let's begin with the Davis Cup because we have had Russian Tennis Federation going unbeaten to win um, their first title in 15 years uh, in the Davis Cup. And I mean, we both predicted this. I think a lot of people expected it. Um, you know, Russian Tennis Federation won the Billie Jean King Cup as well. They've done a double. They've got both team events. You know, they're they're on a roll really with with team tennis at the moment, aren't they, Joel? Yeah, they've been really. I think this is the the year. I think that that Russia Russia Tennis Federation have really come to the party in terms of those team events across uh, you know men's tennis and women's tennis. They also won the ATP Cup at the start of the year and you know on the men's side they've just been very very strong and I think you know the foundation of for me for that has been their strength in depth particularly uh, in in singles uh, and you know they've obviously got Daniel Medvedev, Andrei Rublev, um, you know they're both kind of leading the way, Karatsev as well, um, they've just been very very strong there and when you have r- two you know, really high ranking singles players to play those, you know, those first two ties in this best of three format. It it really kind of, I think, helps you, you know, get off to a good start. You know, Medvedev's obviously been playing some of the best tennis and in his career so far this season, which has 
has helped and I think that has inspired actually other individuals you know in their team you know I remember you know we were talking about you know Going back to the very start of the season with the ATP Cup, you know, Aslan Karatsev, Medvedev, you know, was singing his praises and he had a, you know, a great start to uh, the season. So I think they've also kind of inspired themselves and you can see how much, you know, they really, uh, you know, want to play for their, their country and, you know, how passionate they are for it. And, you know, with the, you know, the Davis Cup, you know, this time, um, you know, knocking out Spain in the group stages, I think was a big moment and really kind of announced themselves as, you know, I think what we were all expecting or we were all kind of thinking that they were the favourites. And uh, yeah, they've they've gone and proven that. And, you know, in the final 2-0 victory over Croatia, both um, Rublev and Medvedev uh, getting the job done um, in straight sets against Borna Gojo and Marin Cilic. So yeah, it was pretty, it was a pretty, pretty dominant showing, I think, from, from Russia. And uh, I'm not, I'm not totally surprised because yeah, they've just got such just got such good strength in depth at the moment. I guess the only thing I am surprised by is the fact that this is their first title in 15 years, which it's that that does feel a bit surprising. I suppose they were just waiting for Medvedev to come along because <laughs> you know they have had decent players like they had. Mm. I was going to say they had Marat Safin, but that probably was that was more than 15 years ago when he was sort of at his peak. So that maybe explains it. I suppose they had the likes of Davidenko. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think. Or Igor Andreev. Yuzhny. Yep, Yuzhny. So, yeah, perhaps surprising that they, they haven't won it in this time. But like you said, they've got such solid um, singles players. It really gives them that kind of additional sort of comfort blanket doesn't it where you don't always have to go to like a a, you know a a final rubber doubles and it's just a lot kind of more smooth sailing and you know they came through against Germany in the semis Croatia in the final um I have to say you know we we also did I think predict Croatia would would get to the final I think in our in our last catch-up or it was either going to be Croatia or Serbia and Croatia just just edged that tie um Borna Gojo as your second player like on paper, you sort of think, how are Croatia even getting, you know, really to you the final? You were not final? expecting anything from yeah. him, were you? <laughs> but he's had a, he's actually had a really good week. Uh, some, some wins over, you know, top 75 ranked players in the world. And considering Border Gojo is like down at 279 odd in the world, he's, he's had a great, um, week or so and, uh, obviously played his part in getting, getting their team to, to the final. And Kim, I, I'm not going to lie, and, and maybe some of our listeners, I did not really know a lot about Borna Gojo going into the Davis Cup, which is, you know, in one sense is what makes Davis Cup so amazing because it, it announces these players who, you know, they get that extra, they find an extra level in them when they're, you know, playing uh, for their country. And I think that's what's happened to, to Borna Gojo this week. But Kim, I was doing a bit of research and literally Borna Gojo's Wikipedia page, his professional career is just one sentence and it reads Gojo made his ATP main draw debut at the 2018 Winston-Salem Open after receiving a wild card for the singles main draw. He faced American Ryan Harrison and lost 6-2-6-4. That was that is literally his Wikipedia page at the moment but certainly I think yeah he has been uh one of the you know the standout players I think one of the players who yeah has announced themselves has certainly i think shown that you know with his ranking his ranking is just a number you know the the level of tennis he was playing this week was very very impressive you know he beat popperin uh sonigo as well in italy um which was a very impressive win and Lajovic as well so you know he had some very good kind of singles performances and you know i think croatia was a you know an interesting team because 
you know, you look at the you look at that final, you know, Russia v Croatia, and I always sort of feel like they 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 got to the final in different ways because with Croatia they did have that really strong doubles pairing with you know Mektic and Pavic, which got them through, um, you know, got them through against Serbia um, in the semi-finals. So I feel like they had that kind of that ace, you know, they had that um, you know Joker in the pack with the the number one doubles pairing in that potentially decisive tie. Whereas you had someone like Russia, who I felt was a bit of the complete opposite in the sense that, yeah, they did have like you know Karatsev, for example, who's a pretty you know, solid doubles player. But you do felt like they were sort of relying on their kind of two singles players, given that you know, they're both top ten players in you know Rublev and um, Medvedev to kind of get the job done before it got to the double. So for me, it was quite interesting to see. You can certainly take, I think, different paths um, in order to be, I think, successful um, in the Davis Cup. Yeah, and I, I, it's, I, I imagine that Mektic and Pavic should have been quite frustrated that he didn't even get the chance to step onto mm. the court in that final, you know, because it could very well have, you know, decided things and they could have, you know, played a, a real champion role in that. But um, that that isn't the case. It's not how it works, unfortunately. And I mean, you know, there may be some people that might begrudge the Russian Tennis Federation winning these these team titles because, you know, due to the kind of the state-wide uh, doping that was going on in Russia uh, across, you know, various sports, they, they have been officially banned from, I think, you know, most international kind of competitions until I think 2023. So some may feel that, you know, Russian Tennis Federation shouldn't even be there, but they've obviously been given license to, to do so. Um, and I don't know, I don't think tennis was one of those sports that was necessarily involved mm. in the kind of systematic doping I, I'm not <laughs> I'm not an expert on that so I don't know but um you know because we've had a lot of debate about you know next year's Davis Cup where's it going to be they're, they're changing the format yet again it seems they're going to have I think four cities uh, and four groups um for the initial stage of that and then they'll have another location for the kind of final part of it and um you know Medvedev was kind of saying that he hopes that Russia might be considered as one of the host cities for that first for that first part. But, you know, perhaps that might be a bit awkward, although, you know, I can understand where he's coming from, especially as they would be defending champions. It's interesting because, yeah, we did have new information come out about what the Davis Cup might look like next year. It sounds like it's going to be a two phased um, approach with four European cities hosting the first stage and then a kind of final um at a neutral venue uh, in a fifth host city um for the kind of knockout stage um there's no been no further word on abu dhabi which was sort of tipped and i think had a generally a kind of muted uh, response uh, amongst kind of fans um and kind of the tennis community um so that still was kind of remained to be seen but yeah it's interesting to see that they are going they they are going down this approach of I think sharing the, you know, the Davis Cup love with as many kind of cities as possible. And, you know, they've, you know, it's obviously, you know, it's come under new, uh, a new regime and it started in Madrid. And, you know, this year, um, it's spread out into, you know, three cities, uh, you know, including Madrid, um, Innsbruck, I think, and Turin. And, and now, yeah, it's, it's going to be adding another city. So I do quite like the, the idea of having, yeah, more than one host city. I get the feeling, though, the more I think about it, is whether the reason for that is 
financially driven in the sense that you know they're looking to make as much money as possible i guess and the tournament organizers and as a result they don't want it to just be in one place because they probably feel like they can make more money if they get kind of four hosts all kind of bidding um and that kind of remains to be seen who who those cities are but uh i get the feeling that the fact that they are kind of diversifying out into more than just one place means that they can they feel like they can make more money from the event but also of course you know generate greater awareness and uh you know engagement i think with you know team tennis and the davis cup brand yeah, I think it'll be a number of factors and perhaps the shareholders of the Cosmos Tennis Group will be uh, yeah, quite <laughs> intrigued by which factors are going to bring them the most money. But um, I mean, the other news that kind of came out was the wild cards for next year's Davis Cup and the fact that Great Britain have been given a second wild card in the space of three years. Um, oh, love lucky it. Us. <laughs> um, Serbia have also received a wild card. I mean, they both seem quite obvious wildcards to give. I mean, Serbia, obviously, Novak Djokovic, world number one. They, they want him at the show. And I guess Great Britain, like possibly Andy Murray might be, um, you know, may, might be making an appearance. But also, you know, we have done pretty well at Davis Cup of late. And we've got we've got a very strong squad these days. And, you know, perhaps that's the reason and they you know will probably help boost the the marketability of the event or perhaps they're thinking you know one of the host cities might be in the UK as well definitely I think it certainly raised eyebrows with some people uh non maybe non-UK non-British fans with regards to hang on why is is Great Britain getting a wild card because it has you know the the the, the format for next season has changed and there will be I think even though there will be more cities, there will be less teams. And, um, you know, getting to the semi-finals, uh, you know, this time in this competition, it did, doesn't actually mean anything. So Germany, who I think can feel a bit hard done by, actually, Germany, um, who got to uh, the semi-finals, they're going to have to be uh, playing in the qualifiers, um, along with lots of other kind of nations, um, to make up the, the 16 nations in total for the um, the 2022 Davis Cup but yeah I think with Great Britain I do wonder whether there is uh you would think that they would kind of be in the shot in and with a shout or would be looking to be one of those four European host cities and maybe they're just kind of preempting that um without obviously having the announcement by giving them a wild card um because yeah you do feel like they've got a you know a very good team at the moment across the board with the singles players you know nori evans doubles players as well joe salisbury jamie murray ken and neil skapsky um it feels like a very very solid team i can understand why uh you know some people would be frustrated given you know two in three years seems quite you know, quite generous. Um, but yeah, I wonder if there's other kind of things at play with regards to, you know, it's being given, um, you know, for, for other reasons. I mean, it does raise the point though, I think, Kim, it's like, should there even be wild cards, you know, in the Davis Cup? Because arguably this this actually kind of robs Great Britain of a qualifier tie, which could have been hosted and, you know, would have been over a kind of a, you know, a, an old school kind of Davis Cup format. We don't get that privilege or that tie anymore. Um, going straight through so we almost kind of almost lose a bit bit of it as well I think I'd rather just be straight in the finals though oh would <laughs> you rather have would that you? guarantee yeah because in this qualifying draw you could be up against the USA you could be up against France mm, Germany yeah. and you're not going to make it then I'd, I'd rather just automatically know I'm going to be in the final event and you know giving it a go then and 
do you think GB should have got a wild card? I mean, two and three years. Yeah, I do think that's the, just the closeness of it. I think maybe two across five mm. years might be less <laughs> suspicious. But I mean, I'm not going to complain as a British tennis fan. Um, I think we've got to make the most of it. And, you know, I think we did, you know, I know we lost to Germany this year, which is a bit of a shame. But I think, you know, with, with Norrie, if Norrie can keep up his, his improved form and, and Evans, we've got like two cracking singles players. We've got cracking doubles players, like world leading doubles players as well. So perhaps they're just seeing our massive potential, Joel. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just quickly talk about, you know, GB in this Davis Cup because we lost to, to Germany 2-1. It came down to the doubles. It was very, very tight. We lost, I think, two tie breaks. I think we were 5-0 up in the, the second set tie break and um it all went uh it all went uh it all went south uh from there i mean how would you kind of reflect on on gb's performance this time around because it did feel like you know we had a lot of players in the form of their life um and yeah for me is i guess a little bit disappointing we couldn't come through germany but i mean germany do have a very handy doubles team that just were a little bit more be- i just think we're a little bit better in the you know the clutch points on the day yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I think just it came down to that really and um you know it was it was a close affair but I think we did we did well and you know we made it to the semi-finals 2 years ago, didn't we? In 2019. Just had to think then what what year um it is. But um I think you know we've got next year we've got like two finalists already, you know, into the the, the finals. We've got two wild cards already there and then 12 qualifiers. So we've got this whole qualifying round happening on the 4th and 5th of March 2022 um what you know this has all been released I mean there are any particular ties that that really catch your eye because I think there's some pretty decent ones in there and you know I think we we could see a few upsets perhaps I perhaps I don't know but um I think there's going to be a that's going to be a good weekend of tennis in in early March I think with those ties I think for me looking at the ties I mean I mean let's just quickly go through all of them you've got France Ecuador Spain Romania Belgium Finland USA Colombia Canada, Netherlands, which I think could be really fun. Uh, Germany, Brazil, Italy, Slovakia, Australia, Hungary, Kazakhstan, Norway, Sweden, Japan, Argentina, Czech Republic, and Austria uh, against South Korea. So, or the Korea Republic. So, yeah, for me, I I'm looking at that Canada Netherlands tie, which could be quite fun because Netherlands are at home. Canada with well potentially with Shapovalov, uh, Felix Auger, Aliassime. Um, could be, I think, you know, away. That could be quite a quite a fun tie. Sweden, Japan, as well. I feel like that could be quite an interesting one. I don't know if Nishikuri would would play that. I mean, that is again, Sweden are hosting. That's going to be a long trip for for Japan. So, um, yeah, for me, there's a couple of yeah interesting ties. USA, Colombia, as well. Um, I, I like I like the idea of that. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting ties there. Um, but yeah, I do think. I do think I'm looking at Germany, Brazil, Kim. I've got to be honest. Yeah, I would be very annoyed if, you know, I'm Germany getting to the semifinals and I've got to go all the way now to Brazil to play a qualifier in order to get to the uh, the finals uh, for 2022. They've been robbed, Joel. They have been absolutely <laughs> robbed, haven't they? <laughs> they beat Serbia and Great Britain, Kim. Uh, yeah. And they've got to do qualifying. Yeah, I think that's I think that's harsh on them not getting the not getting a wild card 
Well, Germany will be playing Great Britain again uh, very soon, actually, because we've got the ATP Cup happening in January and they've announced the um, the group stage draw for that as well. Um, so we've got four groups and this was announced, I think, literally after the, you know, like 12 hours after the Davis Cup ended. Um, and this the, this ATP Cup is going to be taking place, yeah, literally from the first first of January. So what three weeks from now basically it's <laughs> it's just ridiculous um but group group a i mean serbia against spain um now that would be more exciting if rafa was due to play but he's not um interestingly novak djokovic is on the team sheet for serbia so we don't know if you know um, conspiracy he's, theories he's there, isn't there? to australia or not yeah we don't know <laughs> um but it perhaps he's been just put down you know to to get them into the, the cup and he's going to make his decision at a later date. Um, Team Norway there, though, as well. Casper uh, Rude and and who else? <laughs> I know. I, I I mean, well, let's be, like, to be honest, I mean, Team Serbia and Team Norway. I actually think Team Serbia um, at this, uh, you know, in the Davis Cup we've just had, I just felt like they were Team Djokovic. Um, didn't feel like, yes, they've got some handy singles players, but they didn't feel like they really did the business and help, uh, you know, Novak Djokovic um, as much as maybe they they could have um, in um, yeah in this 2021 Davis Cups and yeah I do wonder about that Team Norway squad. It is just it. Let's be honest, Kim. It is just Team Kasparud. I mean, I don't really know. I don't really know any of those other any of their other players. So um, that you know that could be very interesting. But certainly you'd think Spain, even with even without you know Nadal and, and Carlos Alcaraz also not on the uh, the team sheet, you s- would think that Team Spain, given their quality, particularly in the doubles as well, would maybe be favourites. I mean, Team Chile as well. I don't think Nicholas Jarry is there. Christian Garin is, but again, it feels like yes, jo- Novak Djokovic may or may not be there, but certainly Team Spain for me are the, probably the favourites in Group A. Yeah, and then Group B, we've got Russia, Italy, Austria and Australia. So I assume this will be the return of Dominic Team. He's he's on the list. Um, mm. But just looking at the depth of the teams and form, you know, you've got to go with Russia for that one. Um, unless there's like injury woes, you know, I, I can't see them not continuing their, their good form at, at team events and defending, well, quite possibly defending their, their ATP Cup title. Um, and then Group C, yeah, this is Great Britain, Germany, Canada and USA. So, gosh, very I mean, tough. that's quite a loaded group, isn't mm. it? That is very That's the loaded. group of death, isn't it? I, I feel both. I think so. All those teams have got, yeah, pretty strong singles and, and doubles off. I, actually, I would actually argue and say Team USA is probably the weakest um in that group i just don't think they've you know singles wise didn't really have a great run um again in in this uh you know recent edition of davis cup yes taylor fritz is there but you know isna nakashima as your number two um yeah not 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 quite sure um so yeah could be could be quite interesting could be quite tough i think for for great britain to come out of that group i certainly yeah, would put Germany as the favourites. It feels like there is a there's going to be a rematch on the cards. It could even be the same, could even be the same ties. But uh, yeah, I think quite a tough order for for Great Britain. Um, and again, I think Canada would be quite difficult if um, you know if they have Ogier Aliassim and Shapovalov both play, who are also both on the uh, the committed players list. 
Yeah, and I think Group D, uh, you know, last but not least, Greece, Poland, Argentina and Georgia. You know, you've got some standout names in there like, um, you know, Hubert Herkash, Sitzpass, Schwartzman, um, and then I guess Basilashvili for Georgia. But, you know, in terms of the depth of all of those squads, it's quite lacking. So I feel like you really wanted to be in that group if you were, you know, anyone else really uh, in terms of your chances of making it yep. through. You definitely want to play the winner or runner-up, I think, of, of Group D uh, once you get out or into the knockout stages. But uh, yeah, it'd be in- interesting to see. They have said that this is going to be uh, you know, an event that is played at two sites in sydney alone um you know in the you know i think the first edition of it it was all over australia i think it was in brisbane perth and sydney um but this time around i think because of you know the the restrictions state by state um they've shortened it and yeah made it into just uh you know one site which i think is a you know a smart move feels like a lot of tennis is just going to be played uh, you know, between Sydney and Melbourne, um, I guess, yeah, the interesting question is, and again, I feel like we've been asking it forever, is is Novak Djokovic going to be playing uh, in Australia? You know, the fact that he is on that committed player list, what do you, what do you think, Kim? Is that is that a sign that he's going to be he's signed up for the Australian Open or is that more of a, you know, I'm just helping my teammates uh, play for Team Serbia and I'm going to I'm going to withdraw? Yeah, it's all a bit will he, won't he at the moment, isn't it? I, I won't believe it until he's on that plane and <laughs> in Instagramming, you know, after he's landed mm. in Australia. So <laughs> that's going to be the, you know, most pressing question, isn't it, over the next few weeks? What is Novak Djokovic going to be doing? Um, and on that note, Joel, let's have a quick break. Uh, but do join us in the second half, everyone, where we'll be looking at Johanna Konta uh, announcing her retirement from tennis. The WTA suspending all of their events in China and also who's up for the ATP end of season tour awards. So do not go anywhere. This is The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to a little quiz segment for the podcast. And, you know, this is... Um, a mysterious player, Joel. I don't have a path for the courts for you, um, but I hope that's I hope that's okay. I hope you've got your, you know, you've got your thinking cap on. I have to warn you, it's not going to be Borna Gojo oh. uh, because he doesn't have a very extensive amount of evidence <laughs> to give in mysterious player. No, so yeah. I can let you know that uh, it's not going to be Borna okay. Gojo. All right, I've all right, I've I've just kind of mentally prepared myself now that it's not going to be born ago joe but uh yeah i'm 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 here for it we're going a bit old school going i feel like we haven't had a mysterious player for a while i don't know if that's going to count against me uh it probably will do but uh yeah let's uh let's see how many let's see how many clues or if you're going to run out of clues before i can uh get the answer Okay, well, talking of old school, this person is a little bit old school. Oh, so, okay. um, oh, God. Okay. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll start. Uh, I'll start off now. I was born on the fourth of June, nineteen seventy six. Nineteen seventy six. Wow. Okay, so eighty six, ninety six, oh six, sixteen. Oh, so forty five years old. So probably recently recently retired um i was gonna say feliciano lopez but it's not he's 40 he's still going he's still going he's 40 um marit safin incorrect 
Okay. Um, so my current ranking is 1,245 in the world. And wow. that's, that is in doubles. In singles. Ooh, in doubles. In doubles. Okay. Don't have a singles ranking at the yeah. moment. 45. Um, I'm going to say, I don't think this is right. I know he retired this year. I don't think he's 45. Jürgen Meltzer? <clears throat> Incorrect. <sighs> but no, that's a good shout. That is a good shout. Okay, uh, next clue. I have won the French Open and Wimbledon doubles uh, in men's doubles. So, you know, it's a bloke. And I've also won the Australian Open, French Open and Wimbledon in mixed doubles. Mm, Okay. Very successful doubles player. Mm. And on clay and grass. So mm. And hard courts, yeah. Okay. Um so 45. Oh god, this is tough. Um uh, I'm going to say uh Nesta Zimjanic. <laughs> I don't even know if that's his first name. <laughs> Forget that. Just say Zimjanic. Ah, so Nesta is, you're thinking of Daniel Nesta, who is the Canadian doubles player. (laughs) But yes, Joel, you you are correct. It is, it is Zimunic. It's Nenad Zimunic. Nenad Zimunic. Amazing. I'm I'm annoyed you got that so quickly. I was just about to go on to, you know, the Serbian aspect of it. Um, the fact that he was only the second tennis doubles player from Serbia to be world number one. And the fact that he is actually Serbia's most accomplished Davis Cup player um, in in their whole history. So he's involved in 54 Davis Cup ties over his his career. But I guess he's not officially retired because he does still have a doubles ranking, although it's very, so we, very are we, low. Are we... We're going to see a uh, an ATP Cup swap. Is 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 what you're saying, Djokovic <laughs> for uh, Zimjanic? Well, I mean, quite possibly, quite possibly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 45 isn't that old. Federer's like probably still going to be trying to have, <laughs> trying to play at age 45 once he's had his tenth knee surgery. Um, well, I'm, but yeah. I'm just looking, Kim, on his on his Wikipedia. It does say uh, his country's represented Serbia 2006 to present. So I don't know if that means he's yeah he's still still playing but yeah very at his at the peak of his powers he was a very very handy very very handy doubles player wasn't he Oh yes uh, him and Zimonit um, him and Nesta sorry mm. I I remember watching them quite a lot you know probably around 10 years ago or so they were quite a formidable pairing so I'm sure many of our listeners will remember them as well <laughs> um, <laughs> um but yeah no um well done Joel very good and you know Preparation for our end of season quiz, which we'll also be doing soon, which will have more tantalising questions. Exactly. I mean, listeners, I hope you enjoyed that mysterious play. I wonder how many clues. Did you take more clues than me, uh, or did you get it even quicker than I did? Uh, let let us know. But um, yeah, let's move on to passing shot mailbag time, and we had Julia on Twitter get in touch with us and ask us this question: Hi, Joel and Kim. I would love to know. Now that we are looking back on this season, on 2021, what has been your favourite and least favourite tennis moments from the season? 
So feel like we're in a very reflective moment <laughs> right now in December. Looking back on the year, Kim, where are your where are your thoughts going? Immediate thoughts going to for your favourite and, and least favourite tennis moments? I feel like there's so much we could choose from. There's lots of different avenues. I feel like you could you could pursue. Yeah, definitely. And it's making me think back to what has actually happened this year, because uh, it seems to have gone by in an absolute flash. Um, I mean, as a Rafa fan, I'm, mine are going to be sort of Rafa infused moments. So I think personal highlights were his titles in Barcelona and Rome. Uh, and I guess my low light was the fact that he lost in that stressful French Open semi-final to Djokovic, you know, which was um, for Rafa fans, like diehard Rafa fans, that was quite a tough, tough one to take. And, you know, just the fact that he's obviously had this foot injury that he's been struggling with and he's been out for a large part of the season. So hasn't felt quite the same for Rafa fans. Um, but having said that, apart from apart from from that, I mean, obviously a big highlight would be Emma Raducanu winning the US Open from absolutely nowhere and you know, that was just an absolute dream, wasn't it? So I, I think it's hard to look beyond that, to be quite honest with you. Um, and then I guess personal moment, being able to go to Wimbledon again after the pandemic. Mm. Um, you know, uh, Being able to see me at Wimbledon again, I think is the, the right answer here. Well, yeah, you and, and live tennis, <laughs> I'll, I'll allow that. <laughs> you and many other tennis fans as well. It was just so good to be back. Yep. you know amongst what you know what we love to do and watch so um that was a really nice moment but but what about you Joel what was your favorite occasion this yeah. year so I think kind of awkwardly because your least favorite moment actually I think was my favorite moment and it was probably my favorite match watching um just on my sofa um this season was that epic between Nadal and Djokovic in the French Open semi-finals I think it was one of their best. Um, I think, you know, Djokovic had to play at level on a clay court, you know, in Roland Garros that he had not played before. And he did, um, you know, any loss Nadal has is, you know, at the French Open feels historic. And this match, um, you know, was just end to end brilliant. I remember lots of my friends messaging me watching it. I think it was on a Friday night. It was sort of perfect Friday night entertainment in. Um, and yeah, I definitely, it will be one of those matches, I think in their, their rivalry, which, you know, has a lot of, you know, classic matches for me. That has been one of kind of the, the late bloomer episodes or, or matches that for me has kind of really stuck out because it was such a fantastic, such a fantastic and gripping match. Because remember, it had all the, those COVID protocols that the fans were going to go home. And then I think the French president had, um, made a phone call and, and 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 allowed the uh the fans to to stay and watch it to its conclusion so there was all this drama as well um and it just showed how how much influence i think tennis has you know can have uh, in the moment and you know how powerful rivalries can be so for me that was a definite uh, highlight um in terms of kind of low lights and least favorite one does stick out at me and it's all of the i've just kind of loosely kind of captioned this as toilet gate uh, involving Sissipas and you know the amount of time he was taking um, you know it was just all for me uh, you know at the US Open it was just all very embarrassing for me <laughs> I just thought it was just like this is not putting tennis in a good uh, good light it just was a bit embarrassing it was a bit kind of uh juvenile and um you know not befitting i feel like of of 
professionals and i'm glad kind of new rules have kind of been brought in but uh yeah in the moment i just thought it was it was one of those moments when i was just like i was a bit like i was almost a little bit um uh embarrassed to be a tennis fan like we were just kind of talking about kind of toilet breaks to the nth degree so um yeah i'm glad that's sorted out hopefully for for next season at least on the the atp tour but um yeah the the sisipas sort of shenanigans i think and and toilet gate for me was a moment that i'd i'd rather kind of forget and yeah sweep under the sweep under the covers and, and move on yeah, I think there have been a few gates this year, haven't there? We had the <laughs> Osaka press conference gate. We had a- AO quarantine gate. Um, you know, I mean, I did quite enjoy the fact that, well, I don't know if enjoy is the right word, but Annette Contivate and Anne Lee had to share a trophy because they couldn't play the final <laughs> because of all the rain and the that extra tournament they put on. So, I mean, there's been a lot of debacles hasn't hasn't there and i mean i guess a really serious debacle that brings us on to is the peng shui um debacle and the fact that well the the wta have done what they they threatened that they would do and that is to announce the immediate suspension of all wta events in china over their concern for the whereabouts of peng shui so their chief steve simon has you know said that he's still really doubts that the information they've had from the International Olympic Committee is actually like legit and genuine. So he said that, um, you know, for next year, he's he's concerned about all of the risks that players could face if they go to China for these events. So they've um, they've suspended them. And that also includes tournaments in Hong Kong as well. Um, what do you make of like the speed with which this actually has happened? You know, it proved that he wasn't just messing around, was it? No. No, it, yeah, it caught me off guard a little bit with with the speed. Um, you know, I think you know it needed. I actually think you know this this story. I think actually needed another sort of injection of of something because I actually think it was sort of going a bit quiet again. You know, it was going back into a a lull. I think, and it needed a, a shot in the arm. And for me, this yeah, this was that kind of shot in the arm. I wasn't expecting it um it, it came out uh you know in a really kind of lengthy statement i think on on twitter you know it showed that i think it showed i think great leadership it was kind of for me kind of very ballsy and very brave but i think it was kind of what was needed at the moment and it was interesting to read kind of the the statement and how it was kind of articulated um particularly around kind of equality for women which is kind of what the, the wta kind of was founded for and uh, i'll just kind of read some of, of what was said in the statement so the leadership in china has not addressed this very serious issue in any credible way if powerful people can suppress the voices of women and sweep allegations of sexual assault under the rug then the basis on which the wta was founded equality for women would suffer an immense setback i will not and cannot let that happen to the wta and its players so yeah really kind of strong and powerful words and you know i think you know i've been reading and seeing some of the, the reaction to it and you know there have been i think a few people who think you know is this a pr stunt in terms of you know realistically they can't play in china at the moment um because of of covid and you know they're just you know sensing that as an opportunity to make something more of it but i think if you read the statement and you hear that the language that is being used i, I don't think you can really call it a, you know a pr stunt because um yeah, I think this is a very, you know, they're taking the the moral high ground here. And, um, you know, I think this is a, a very kind of courageous move. I know, I mean, we know how big 
I guess an audience is uh, potentially in China. You know, it's like what, what over a, a, you know, a billion people. And to to do something like this, I certainly think you know people people will take note of it. Um, and that's what we need right now because we still haven't got to the bottom of this situation. And I don't think other people getting involved, other statements even, have really kind of put the foot down in the way that the, the WTA has. And I think, yeah, at, at this moment, that is exactly what we've needed. Yeah. And I mean, just to clarify, it is only the WTA that have suspended tournaments. The the ITF are still allowing all of their tournaments to go ahead. They've kind of, kind of come out and said that they don't believe that it's right for them to punish like a whole nation, a billion people, they said. So they're going to continue to run all their junior events in the country and, and their senior events. Um, so and the, the ATP also are, are still going ahead with any of their events in China, you know, I guess, depending on COVID, um, but have come out with a statement from the ATP chairman, um, you know, just addressing the situation, but not really saying much. Um, no. Bit, a bit of a cop-out <laughs> statement, as as you would expect from the ATP. Yeah, it's it's been quite stark, hasn't it? The, the contrast, I think, between the I guess the the proactivity of of someone like the WTA versus the ATP, because you know we've been talking about you know this season as a, a moment where you know the WTA and the ATP have you know been showing in some cases that they've been coming together, they're collaborating more, and they feel like they want to become you know one more sort of a unified kind of governing body, but. You know, I think this situation again shows there's a lot of work to be done on that front because the stark contrast in the, the statements between the WTA and the ATP is just, yeah, it's just night and day. And you can see that, I think, in terms of the the player reactions, particularly from the, the men's players. Uh, I think it was, I can't remember who it was exactly, but as you said, Kim, well, I think one player, I think it was, might have been Andy Roddick. I think it was an American player who said, yeah, it was like, this is an example of how to say a lot without saying anything at all. Um, and if you read the statement again, it just is a bit kind of non-committal, doesn't want to get involved, and um, yeah, it's a bit, you know, it's it's not it, it's not, you know, I don't think it's ideal. And I think, you know, again, kind of reading into it, I, from what I understand um, from kind of journalists, is that the the motivation for the kind of non-committal approach of that that ATP statement was more from people on the board that were kind of tournament organizers i think and not necessarily players and again i don't think that's i don't necessarily think that's right the AP, atp should be reflective of their players that's you know they have a player council and i think you know we've seen in individual statements from players on twitter that they you know want something to be done and i feel like they deserved a a better stance or a more proactive stance than that than you know the atp has given yeah, I mean, I guess the ATP, like, they they can't really get involved in the extent that obviously the WTA are, are taking action and, you know, cancelling those events in China. But I think, you know, if there was ever going to be a, a joint um, or a merger between the two of them, like, and then kind of becoming more unified, they, they're going to need to be as proactive as the WTA. And obviously, we've seen with the whole sphere of stuff that the ATP have, have been found wanting with that. And um, I mean, yes, it's good they've said something, but it's just... Yeah, you know, it, 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 it's two different like levels of um, reaction, isn't it? In action, I mean the 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 argument. The interesting thing for me here also is, you know, you've got, you know, I feel like you've got this disconnect between, you know, what the ATP 
statement says and kind of what the players are feeling and again there's going to be I think kind of talk about the PTPA and you know whether they feel like this is an opportunity to get kind of players on their side because you know they could for example come out with a statement and says you know we align with what the you know the WTA says and I feel like that would get instantly a lot of uh you know players who are not happy with the stance from the ATP get them uh you know on on board um and yeah, have something that is more reflective, I think, of what the, you know, what the locker room, I think, is is thinking at the moment. So again, could be an, it could be, uh, you know, something that kind of leads to, uh, you know, a, a more kind of player orientated uh, body. Might not necessarily be the the PTPA, but I certainly think right now um, that that statement just does not reflect kind of the the players in the sense that that what the the, the WTA statement does for its players. Yeah, I think, well, you better get on the phone to Vashik Pospisil and Novak Djokovic. <laughs> well, and... they should be scheming, right? They should be scheming and, and strategizing right now, I think, because I think this is a, you know, this is a moment that is, yeah, it's gripped, it's gripped players, it's gripped, uh, you know, the whole world. You know, we're seeing it in, you know, in news stories, not just in kind of sports stories as well. So um, it certainly feels like a moment that they could use that could be, um, you know, an opportunity for them to to get people on their side. They're missing a trick. Um, yeah, we'll have to see how it all develops, but and you know which tournaments I guess that we're going to take up those spots that um, China are now you know have left vacant. So we'll have to see where where they go instead. But plenty of places I'm sure they'd love to have you know some of those um, Asian swing events that you know will not be happening. For example, um, I mean one player who will not be taking any part is Joe Conta, who has sadly announced her retirement from professional tennis. Uh, this news kind of came out in the last. The last week, she put a statement out on on social media. Um, you know, essentially, she said that she wants to focus on other things. Um, her injuries as well are, you know, I think probably a, a big factor. She's been struggling for quite a while um, with with being kind of fully fit. And, you know, it's a lot of sacrifice, isn't it? And um, to put yourself through that. And she's, um, yeah, she's calling it a day, um, you know, which is, I think, completely fair enough. I think you surprised? understandable. Um, I was a bit when I first heard it, but actually, you know, I think she's got other things she wants to do. She'll probably, you know, we would expect she'll probably start going into like commentary or, you know, TV. Perhaps, she, I mean, she's quite into baking, isn't she? Her dogs. Um, like she's got a lot of stuff going on in her life and other pursuits, which is always really good that they, you know, players have other things to go into. And I think, you know, if she's not prepared to, you know, if it's getting to that point where it's too much, of a struggle to even be on the tour, I guess, and uh, be fit enough to play. And, you know, you get to that point where maybe it's just time to time to go. But she's, what, she's 30? So, they're, you know, she could change her mind in a couple of years. It has been known. I feel like we say that every time a player retires. <laughs> you, but... Kim, you say that every time, I swear. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I was a little bit, um, yeah, I was a little bit surprised. Obviously, I was a little bit kind of disappointed as well. I mean, she was a, a fantastic player one of the best players in the world, um, you know, at her peak, she, you know, she reached world number four. She, you know, reached the semi-finals of the Australian Open, the French Open and Wimbledon. So, you know, she did, she did really, really well. And I feel like she, you know, was very committed um, at reaching the top and it really kind of paid dividends for her. And she definitely, I think, got the most out of her, you know, her talent and her uh, ability. I think, you know, there are those 
certainly there are i think there are those what if kind of questions you know we always talk about the that von drusova semi-final with me as a as the biggest kind of moment and p- potentially missed opportunity i feel in her career to reach a you know a grand slam final but um you know certainly i think for british tennis she has done you know she has done a lot i think you know she has you know carried the flag as the you know the british women's number one um you know for fair few seasons i think you know we were all you know going back uh you know a few years i think we were all sort of looking at laura robson you know to be that you know to be that player to be that next british you know number one that can kind of capture people's imaginations and you know have the career arguably maybe joe joe conta has actually had um but i think you know it, it was great i think to have her you know reach so high i think in the you know in the world because um otherwise i think British women's tennis would have been, you know, struggling. Yes, we, you know, we've had Heather Watson. Heather Watson is is still there, and she's had a, you know, she's been really good and really consistent on the WTA tour. But Conta, I think, has provided those moments that have really, I think, got people excited. And yes, we've had Emma Raducanu just win the, you know, the US Open. But before that, you know, these achievements that that Conta had, again, for for tennis fans, I feel these were for British tennis fans even they were moments that yeah just got us very very excited about the you know the prospect of uh, you know british women's tennis for you know seasons to come yeah i couldn't believe it when you know she actually got to that point where she was you know four in the world top 10 she won miami had all those slam semis and you know i guess arguably yeah that french open one was probably her best opportunity but i mean getting to the semis of wimbledon like your home event i mean that was just an absolute dream i mean i would never have thought when i first got into tennis that we would have a british women a British women's player you know that high because we just hadn't really had that for such a long time so um obviously now Radicanu's on the scene which is fantastic but yeah I think she's done a lot and I think she I think she even alluded to this herself you know she's probably done better than maybe she actually envisaged she, she would do um at the start of her career and certainly I think when she did first kind of come to to notes I don't think people expected her to really do what she did I think she's maximized her her talent and her abilities and you know perhaps yeah there was moments where she she could have just you know got over final hurdles here and there but I think she should be really proud of of her you know career and her achievements and I look forward to seeing her you know back on maybe the bake-off or (laughs) or something like that on on telly I've you know she was on a question of sport the other day which was great because there were tennis questions so there we go plenty of chance to still see Joe Conta out and about I think yeah it'll be interesting to see I think where she does go next whether you know it does she take the the family route or does she go into uh you know commentary um you know how does she kind of keep herself busy does she go into to coaching could we see her become like an Anne Kiofavong like figure um you know for the uh you know for the GB ladies team um you know it's still I think quite an exciting you know time for her with regards to kind of what you know what she does look at doing next um but yeah I think at the same time in this sort of immediate moment it is kind of quite sad and um you know it was interesting and quite revealing I think you know she had an interview I think with the the WTA and she spoke about the fact that you know nowadays if you don't have uh you know that talent and that kind of uh talent uh, commitment anymore then you can't do that because you're actually not going to be good enough there are very few players in history that can half arse it very very few and I probably would say just a handful of players 
who can just show up, but their God-given talent is so huge that they can get away with a lot of it. For 99% of the players, there's that sacrifice. You're doing your little dance around the fire, sacrificing to the gods. And I think for me, that kind of sums it up in the sense that you know, she was a player who was very committed and you needed to have that level of commitment in order to get to the top. And she probably just realised and got to a point, probably, you know, some point this season, you know, when injuries took her toll, that she just wasn't able to give it 100%. And if she wasn't able to give it 100%, then it just wasn't going to work out for her. And, you know, we've seen her slide down the rankings, unfortunately. She had a, you know, she had a, a good grass court season in the sense that she did have a career title uh, in, where was it? In Notting- I think in Nottingham. Um, but, um, but yeah, it, it probably just got to a point where it's like, if I can't be fully committed to do this, and I think for a lot of players, you know, it maybe comes down to this is if I can't, if I can't give a hundred percent, then, you know, then I need to think of something something new to do. Absolutely. Uh, well, we wish her well, whatever she does go on and choose to do. Um, but yeah, before we wrap up today, Joel, uh, let's quickly touch upon the ATP awards because we touched upon the WTA ones last time. Uh, we've got some nominations out for some categories for the ATP end of season awards. So perhaps we can just give our, our two pence worth on these. Uh, we've got... First of all, most improved player We've got Alcaraz, Nori, Karatsev, and Rude. Who who are you going for out of that one? You're gonna go. You're gonna go for Noza. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah, <laughs> I. It was. It was between him and for me. Well, it's quite. I mean, I mean, this is very tough. But uh, yeah, I still go. I still go Nori. Given I feel like Alcaraz has arguably kind of like more talent but I think Nori when you look at his game where it was and where it is I think you'd be the most surprised by how much he has taken that on to become a very very handy player player who played in the you know the ATP tour finals so uh, for that sort of surprise factor and and you know that development I think that he has shown uh, yeah for me it's Cam Nori. Yeah and I think Casper Rude like he he was already very improved I think last season I, I would say towards the end. So I think Nori, yeah, more unexpected and surprising. I'd, I'd have to give it to him as well. Um, our next category is newcomer of the year. So the ATP have chosen Brandon Nakashima, Sebastian Baez, Jensen Brooksby, Hugo Gaston and Juan Manuel Serendolo. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so there's a few, well, quite a few next geners in there, aren't there? Um, as you would expect. Um, for me, for this, I'd have to go with either of the Americans, like Nakashima or Brooksby. I think they've had um, really good kind of breakout seasons. I mean, as have as have the others, but I think long term, uh, I think, you know, perhaps the likes of Jensen Brooksby, um, you know, we saw him at the US mm. Open doing quite well. So, yeah, I think either of them would win it for me. Yeah, I I feel like, yeah, a few of these players have just sort of been lurking on the like challenger circuit. Yeah. So I haven't really been, oh, like, have they, like, how, like, Yes, I know they're part, that's part of the ATP tour, but yeah, I feel like for me, Jensen Brooksby probably made the biggest splash and biggest impression on me. Um, you know, win that in that defeat to Novak Djokovic, um, at the US Open. That was such a wild, such a wild and bizarre, I think, match that for me, that, that gives, for me, that gives him the edge. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go Jensen Brooksby for my, uh, newcomer of the year. 
And next category, very exciting because Rafa's there. Uh, it's the Stefan Edberg Sportsmanship Award. So we've got of course Francis he's team. there. <laughs> I think both either Rafa or Federer have yes. won it you know, every year <laughs> since whenever, which a lot of people are like, that's not fair. Um, okay, so other nominees would be Francis TFO, Felix Auger-Aliassime and Casper Ruud for this one, as well as Rafa Nadal. Um, obviously, I'm a Rafa fan, so I'm going to have to say Rafa. But if oh, I didn't dear. say him, Here we go. Yeah. I, <laughs> um, I think FAA. Uh, uh, you know, here, oh, the Tony, Uncle Tony connection. <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> I've never said I'm not a bit biased, Joel. Um, no, I think, I mean, I assume this is, you know, I, I think all of these players are players who conduct themselves extremely well both on and off the court and have a lot of grace and respect and I I admire all of them for for that um so I'd be happy if any any of these players won yeah I I I think I think the the streak could be broken or the the Nadal Federer like ownership of this award could be broken um I'm I I'm gonna go slightly left field I'm gonna go Francis Tiafo because I just think he is I just think he's like the on tour he's the most graceful i think loser particularly kind of when it comes to you know how he handles kind of a defeat i think you know i always remember the you know that match he had against andy murray uh which was like three tie break sets and went like three and a half hours and he posted a really touching tribute to murray afterwards on instagram um and I just feel like, yeah, he conducts himself in a way that is just very kind of mellow. But he's also very competitive, at, at, you know, at the same time. So, um, yeah, for me, I'd, I'd, I'd tip tip my hat to uh, to TFO for the uh, sportsman, Sportsmanship Award. Okie doke. No, I, I, I concur to the... I think he is always very fair and appreciative towards, you know, his, his opponent. Absolutely. Uh, comeback player of the year is next. So we've got Andy Murray. Mackenzie McDonald, Jack Sock, and Tanasi Kokinakis. <laughs> um, How is Jack Sock in the what? What I I don't. I mean, listeners, let us know. I I'm struggling to understand what did Jack Sock do to get to warrant being on the comeback comeback list. I'm not. I'm not sure. Maybe it's an oversight from my part, but I don't. I don't see how he's on there. For me, this is one obvious outstanding candidate, Kim, and it's and for me, it's just Andy Murray. Metal hit. We say it a million times. Shouldn't be uh, disregarded, though. It's just crazy, kind of what he's doing at the moment. Um, and I f- and I feel like this. The great thing is that there is certainly more to come, um, and he's getting back. And I'm excited for next season. So yeah, Murray, comeback player of the year for me. Yeah, I mean, I know the others have had like some bad long term, you know, time out with injuries. But I, yeah, I do think Andy Murray, considering the level he's shown this year and some of the wins mm. he's had and the, the battles on court with a metal hip and all that comeback and everything, it's yeah, I'd have to give it to him as well. And maybe we <laughs> yeah. are a bit biased because we're British. <laughs> I, I could see I could foresee a situation, Kim, with Kokinakis that he could be he's on the list this year. I also think he could be comeback player of the year next year. I feel like he's like he's always I dare I say back. I feel like he's quite injury prone. I just feel like um he could be on this list uh yeah. Years well, consecutive years in a row. At least he'll win something that way, perhaps. <laughs> you know, I'd I mean I'd love to see him perform well on court and, and mm. win titles, but yeah, he's really have he has had a very unfortunate string of injuries in his short career um, and the last award Joel is coach of the year so we've got uh, Gilles Savara for Medvedev, uh, Christian Rude 
for obviously Casper Ruud, Juan Carlos Ferrero for Carlos Alcaraz, uh, Facundo Lugones for Cam Norrie, and Craig Boynton for Hubert Hercage. So, oh, that that is a very tough one. Mm, Again, yeah. oh, they are all fantastic coaches with great relationships with their, you know, protégés this year, and they've all had great results. So, oh, I don't. I want to say I'm tempted to say Juan Carlos Ferrero just because I feel like he is with the relationship between him, between him and Alcaraz. I really do see him as a quite a fatherly figure as well as, you know, that coach. And I feel like they have the most obvious bond. I mean, obviously, Christian Rude is actually Casper Rude's father. <laughs> but I, I just feel I get that connection shown more with with Ferrero and Alcaraz. But I mean, having said that, Hubert Hercash has had a fantastic mm, yep. year. So I mean, why not give it to Craig Boynton? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, yeah, I feel like it's for me. Yeah, it's between Alcaraz and Hercage uh, for the the yeah the coaches of the year. I would slightly also lean towards uh, Ferrero. I think he's done a a great job. There's obviously been loads of pressure on Alcaraz. Yeah, you know, I feel like for, as a junior, he's just been lumped with this you know next Rafa tag. And you know, for Ferrero, it's like yes, I've got a you know mold this guy's into a you know rarely a top player uh you know on on the tennis court but yeah he's got to handle being able to handle the you know the the pressure and everything also around him which you know again i think is uh you know something that he you know needs to develop and and Ferreira, i think with all his experiences um is in a you know, a great position um you know to do that given you know his his pedigree as a you know a former grand slam champion so uh yeah i'm, I'm going to go Ferrero for that uh for that nomination listeners let us know what you think um there's some very tough decisions I think to decide the uh the awards there so I'll be intrigued to see who actually does end up winning um but that brings us to a close for this edition of the passing shot and the catch-up podcast but we will be back won't me Joel because we have our end of season Mm. quiz coming up very soon I know very exciting yes listeners this has been our last catch up of the season i hope you've enjoyed listening to our catch-ups throughout the season we do have one final pod left and it will be our annual uh passing shot festive quiz uh where we're going to be uh testing each other and testing you as well um on the atp and wta tours this season so look out for that uh episode uh we hope to yeah release it i think within the, the next week or so but it'll be looking back and testing your knowledge um on the 2021 tennis season um just a couple of reminders from passing shot hq as well if you haven't already it would really help us if you could uh take two minutes out of your time to uh take our passing shot survey um in terms of how uh, you've found listening to the podcast this season we will put a link in the description uh it's all anonymous so if you could just click the link yeah take two minutes and tell us what you thought about the podcast that would be really really useful for us and next season and also a big reminder that our passing shot crowdfund our second ever crowdfund our crowdfund for the 2022 season is going live uh, it will be going live uh, after after this episode uh, again the link is in the description if you would like to donate and keep the passing shot uh, going uh, next year helping us with 
producing the show um you know a lot of work a lot of effort kind of goes into it uh, behind the scenes uh, we do have some rewards as well so um if you want to kind of help and you can uh, donate to us then we would kind of really really appreciate it uh, the link is in the description we're going to do a little separate announcement pod as well just to give a bit more detail and a, a bit more insight into kind of what goes on with the the crowdfund so also kind of look out for that but um yeah i think uh, in the meantime as i said uh, from us, uh, from Passing Shot HQ, a massive thank you for everyone who has listened to us. Uh, you know, this season we really enjoy making these pods, producing them, writing the scripts, getting up at the crack of dawn, uh, or you know, recording. Uh, you know, late into the night, we you know really enjoy kind of doing these and lending the the fan perspective to kind of the the tennis landscape out there. So uh, yeah, a big thank you from us for uh yeah for uh for joining us and, and listening to the show and yeah thanks to everyone who has already completed the survey and left us a lovely review throughout the year it's always lovely to hear your feedback um however that feedback is so um you know please do not hesitate to get in touch with us at any point because we are always happy to to hear from all of the listeners so um as joel said thank you so much for listening to us this season we hope you'll listen to our quiz coming out uh in the next week or so and we will uh i guess see you all again very mm. soon it'll be the new <laughs> tennis season before we know it i know it, Joel? <laughs> we'll be we'll be back at we'll be back at square one yes for uh for next season um uh, of course i'm gonna say for the final time this season remember to subscribe to the passing shot on your podcasting platform of choice whether that's apple Podcasts, spotify overcast Castbox, stitcher and all good podcasting platforms out there you can also listen to us on the downloadtennis.com app and if you want to show your support for the show then why not leave us a rating and comment on apple podcasts and you can follow us on social media we are on facebook instagram and twitter at passing shot pod so do give us a follow if you don't already and you can also contact us via email if you prefer uh, reach us on passing shot pod at gmail.com and don't forget to check out our website www.thepassingshot.co.uk and we will be back sometime soon with our end of season quiz so watch out for that one again i hope you've enjoyed listening to the passing shot remember if you want to keep the show going if you want to see it next season make sure to click the link uh, for our crowdfund and if you can it would really really help us if you can donate we've got some quite fun uh, awards sorry some rewards depending on your donation so um yeah if you are able to do that that would really really help us out but uh yeah i hope you can join us for our final episode our quiz episode which will be coming soon and uh yeah have a have a merry christmas and uh we'll probably see you again in the new year <laughs>